Friends, we have wrapped up our time in the narrative lectionary and we are getting ready to move into our summer series where we are going to hear some stories of faith and reflect upon what kind of a new way forward we might be having as we are hopefully transitioning out of this time of pandemic. Now, I think that before we can really move forward, it's important to go back to the beginning. And that's why we're in the book of Genesis today. And we are going to hear some words from the first three chapters of Genesis. And it's important to keep in mind that when Genesis was being written, the intent of people was to answer these questions. People wanted to know um, where they came from and what their purpose was and why life is the way it is. So Genesis is this narrative that kind of hopes to explain that for people with the idea of this loving, powerful God um, in mind. So that is the way in which Genesis was crafted, and I want us to pay attention to that, to think about how the Genesis houses this place where questions are hopefully being answered. And I'm hoping that that'll give us some insight into this text today. Good morning, friends. This morning's reading is from the Hebrew Testament, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26-27, chapter 2, verses 15-23, through 23, and chapter 3, verses 1-12. through 12. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the wild animals of earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. The Lord God took the human and put them in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the human, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then God said, <clears throat> it is not good that the human should be alone. I will make them a helper as their partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the human to see what the human would call them. And whatever the human called every living creature, that was its name. The human gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the human, there was not found a helper as their partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the human, and they slept. Then God took one of the human's ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And that rib that God had taken from the human God made into a woman and brought her to the human. Then the human said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. The serpent said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, and I ate. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me? God, please meet us in this space as we open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what it is that you have in store for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we have been having quite the past year plus. This time of pandemic has brought about a lot of things and it's amazing that we're finally seeing some signs of hope that it may be coming to an end. With vaccines and updated guidelines, you can definitely see the end of the tunnel. And as I've been reflecting upon the past year or so in this time of pandemic, I have been thinking about how this time has really been a time of questions for me. I have just been in a constant state of wondering. It's like there's this reel in my brain that is constantly asking myself, okay, when did you last wash your hands? Who is around you and what social distancing practices are they adhering to? What do I think about the new mask mandates? How do I feel about protesting? What are some of the things that I am doing in my life that may be racist? What do I value? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Who am I? There is a very influential theologian named Paul Tillich who says that humans have to deal with three things. Everyone does. And that is questions of meaning, guilt, and death. 
I think that that is ringing so true during this time in this season that those questions are right in front of our face. We can't escape them. And when I think about Genesis and its purposes, I think about how people probably approached that story of creation with questions of who they are, where they've been, and where they're going. So today I want to jump into these passages in Genesis, and one of the things that has been coming up in my own conversations lately has been this idea of being made in the image of God. This comes up in the Bible very early on, right here in Genesis 1. This is where it comes from, where people say, you're made in the image of God. And I think that we like to say this phrase a lot in Christian settings, but I think it's one of those phrases that we don't really fully understand all the time. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? We don't necessarily have this physical picture of God and what God looks like, or even a full understanding of all that God is. God is so big and incomprehensible, how could we ever understand what it means to be made in the image of God? Well, as I was reflecting upon this for myself, I think that being made in the image of God means that we are made in the image of love. I so firmly believe that one of the most concrete ways to understand God is that God is love. And so when we're made in the image of God, we're made in the image of love. We're made to be loved and we're made to show love to others. That is at the core of who we are and who we're created to be. Right after this introduction of, to the creation of humankind being made in the image of God, there's this instruction from God that humans will have dominion over creation. And I think this word dominion can be super misconstrued. I think that sometimes there's this idea that because we have dominion over creation, then we need to just assert power over it and take things from it. And I don't think that that is reflective of who we're created to be. I think dominion in this case is much more like stewardship, showing love and care to creation. Because that's who we are supposed to be. That's the image we were made in. Now this image of God, this image of love, is exactly how Adam and Eve are made. Um, it talks about... Adam and Eve being in the garden. Now we first start out with Adam. God places him in the garden to keep it and till it, to care for it, to love it. But it's not long before um, it becomes very apparent that Adam shouldn't be alone. God doesn't think anyone should be alone. And it also becomes very quickly apparent that the nature surrounding Adam, the trees, the other plants, animals, are not sufficient in feeling this void of loneliness for Adam. And God sees that and says, I know what to do. And he takes a rib from Adam and creates another person out of it. And Adam's reaction to this person is such a beautiful moment in our scripture. And I think it's a really beautiful moment when we think about human beings in general. 
Adam sees what we will soon know to be Eve and says that this is the one. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And there's the sense of connectedness and beautiful oneness between the two of them. They see each other as like images of God. And that is really beautiful. Their time in the garden becomes um, a time of togetherness, and it's going well, but not for long. You see, uh, Eve, as we see in Genesis 3, is um, tempted by this serpent to break the one rule that God has placed upon them, to eat from the one tree that God said, you can't eat from that one. You can eat from all the other ones, but you cannot eat from this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve both indulge in the fruit. They break the rule. And I think that a lot of times people like to take this story and look at Eve and place a lot of blame on her. But the way I'm reading it is that Adam was there by Eve's side the whole time. Even if the serpent is just directly talking to Eve. Adam is present with her. And so both Adam and Eve bear the consequences of breaking this rule equally. And it says that when we, they eat this fruit, this forbidden fruit, when they eat it, their eyes are opened. And I think the writers of Genesis are also intending to explain something in this moment. They write it as a moment where sin enters the world and humankind is never the same. It's an explanation for why we are the way we are. But what really is this sin? And I think that the answer to that really lies in what Adam and Eve's eyes are open to when they eat this fruit. Suddenly they realize that they're naked. And in that, they recognize that they're other from one another. They're different from one another. I imagine the moment going something like this. Eve is looking at Adam, and Adam is looking at Eve, and there's uh, the overwhelming knowledge that their bodies do not look identical. They are not the same. And with that knowledge comes a deep feeling of discomfort and separation. Suddenly, all of this connectedness is beginning to dissipate, and they feel shameful. And when God comes looking for them in the garden, they hide. They get out of sight, and uh, God finds Adam and finds out that Adam knows he's naked. And then God asks him a pretty heavy question. He wants to know. He, he looks at Adam and says, did you do the one thing I told you not to do? Did you eat from that one tree I told you not to eat from? And Adam's response is crucial here to this understanding of sin entering the world because he immediately says, that woman gave it to me. Her over there, that person who's completely separate from me, yeah, she, she did it, not me. Suddenly, all the blame is shifted onto Eve by Adam. Now, not long ago, you shouldn't forget this, not long ago, Adam was saying that Eve was the bone of his bone, the flesh of his flesh. 
And that has all gone out the window. Suddenly she is that other person, that woman over there who she's the one who talked me into eating the fruit. That connectedness is gone. Adam has othered Eve. And that knowledge that they got when they ate that fruit, that knowledge was that people are different and people are not like us. And that makes us uncomfortable. That causes us to other people to look at someone who is not like us and to deem them inferior. Now, I don't want anyone to be confused by this because it's okay that people are different. It's good. And I value diversity. I think God intended diversity and that we should honor that in everything we do and embrace that. But we need to recognize that a lot of the times when we see someone who is different than us, this feeling of discomfort can set in that causes us to act poorly towards the other. This has been going on throughout all of human history. This isn't just a part of Adam and Eve's story. This is a part of all of our stories. We see it throughout the entire Bible, people doing this othering, this separating, this disconnecting. It's throughout the history of our nation and it's so present in our current context today. You cannot get away from the othering that is being done to people right here, today, right now. During this COVID-19 pandemic, the, there's been other pandemics that have been exposed, and one of them is white supremacy. We've been talking about this. This country, in a lot of ways, was founded upon people seeing people who are different, deeming them inferior, and benefiting off of that and creating a whole structure off of that. And we still benefit from a lot of those structures today, at least some of us do. And that's something that we need to work to dismantle. That is sin that has occurred that we need to work to dismantle. But I think that one of the other things that this time of pandemic has exposed is the deep political division around us. I think it is not uncommon for people to only associate with people who have the same political ideologies as them. And I completely understand this. I do not enjoy being in conversation with people who are the exact opposite of me on certain issues, on things that affect people. It's frustrating. I don't really enjoy being in conversation with people who are blatantly white supremacists. That's not something I like, that's not something that feels comfortable, but any time that I start avoiding them or doing harmful behaviors towards those people, then I am participating in sin. That's wrong. It doesn't matter if the person I am othering is someone who's oppressed or someone who's an oppressor. I still have to treat them with love and care. Now the way that we treat these different types of people, it does matter. If someone is oppressed, we're gonna treat them differently than if they are an oppressor. In the sense of the relationship that you're seeking out with them, the way in which love can work in their lives looks different. There's a difference in bringing about justice for someone and having to dismantle someone's actions to bring them to a more just place.
Those things look different, and those things are difficult. But we have to remember that we are all made in the image of God. We are all made in this image of love. A few weeks ago, we heard from Paul's letter in Galatians that there's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. That still matters today. At the end of the day, we are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all made in the image of God. And maybe some of us are living into that better than others. I think that sometimes I don't live into that image well enough. But we can. We can do this. I know we can. And even though it's hard, I think that the place we can go to look for for answers is this image. And we can also look into words of Jesus that we've heard. That you should love God and you should love your neighbor. And the thing is, your neighbor is everyone around you. Friends, I hope you rest in the idea that you are made in the image of love, that you have this belovedness. Jenny spoke about this a few weeks ago. That's so important. But I hope that resting in that empowers you to pour that outwards and to see the belovedness in each and every person you pass. Know that in each and every person you pass, you see the image of God, the image of love is present within them and within you, and we need to treat people as self.